Today, the Below Average Joe's MMA Show present the Weekend Recap. And we are recapping everything from Bellator 289 on Friday and UFC 282 on Saturday. A common theme, bad judging. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 256. I am one half of the team's Noah Baker. Coming to you from the great state of Indiana. The man to my right, that's Dominic Slee. He is recovering. Recovered. Recovery. Sounds a lot better from the flu. That's Dominic Slee. Coming to you from the great state of OHIO. Dominic, how feeling? Less than 24 hours, less than 12 hours, after the events of UFC 282, how does that leave you feel after a pretty pretty big weekend of MMA all around? Yeah, so I got the feeling better. Voice is almost back to normal, so for our listeners' sake, that's nice. But then after last night's fights at UFC 282, well, really not even the whole fights, the last two fights... I am not still feeling that well this morning. I don't really know how I'm feeling this morning. I think a lot of people are in the same boat, but we get to talk it through together. We get to express our emotions, our feelings together. That's what this show's all about, baby. That's what the people are here to listen to. It's going to be a fun one today, folks. Fasten in, get comfy, get your uh, reading glasses on. That doesn't make any sense, but here we go. I'm excited, Noah. It's going to be interesting. How are you feeling you know, your emotional state this morning in the aftermath. I feel well-rested somewhat, which is kind of unusual for a UFC pay-per-view. Now, that might be because I started falling asleep about halfway through the main event. But, you know, we got a lot lot to get into, Dominic. Uh, So much so, like, today's going to be a bit of an aggressive episode. I can already feel it. And that's why I had to bring out the big guns. The camo Waffle House hat. It had to be done for this occasion. But uh, Dominic, before we get into everything, we got to talk about our good friends over at Points Bet Sportsbook. Yes, we do. They are the official betting partner of the Below Average Joe's MMA show. And right now they have a great offer that you, the listener, you, the viewer, can take advantage of. Right now, if you go into the description of today's episode, follow that link. You can sign up for Points Bet Sports. They are going to match on your initial deposit. There is a second way you can make good on this offer. You can download the Points Bet Sportsbook app, sign up through the app, use code MMAJOES. Dom, take it away. MMAJOES. That's right. As sign up, you put in that deposit, it gets matched, you're done. So make sure to make good use of that. Please bet responsibly. And Dominic, let's get into the main event of UFC 282. Uh, the title had been vacated by one Yuri Prohaska. He was originally scheduled to fight Glover to share. Of course, that fight fell through. The co-main, which was also a light heavyweight fight, up to five rounds for the vacant strap. It was Jan Blahovich versus Magomed Ankalaev and Dominic. The worst outcome I could have envisioned happen. They fought to a split draw. 
So not nary a title was awarded on this night. Yeah. Um, there was no, there is still no light heavyweight champion. Um, this division's kind of a mess now. And I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, the 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 headline here is sort of um, it's sort of leaning in a direction that we're going to take this about the judging. Get your thoughts on the and your thoughts on what the judges came to on their decision. Yeah. So the fight uh was interesting. I I felt those early rounds, especially Jan. I felt we were going to have another Polish power moment. I thought he was going to do it again, you know. I thought it was going to be one of those. And he, it looked like he was en route to that, especially uh, rounds two and three. His The calf kicks that he were landing uh, on both legs of Ankalaev uh, were very damaging. Ankalaev was getting to a point where I feel like any other calf kick that would have landed after, uh, he would have just fell down every time and potentially ended in a TKO victory. But, however... Uncle I was able to weather that storm completely, uh, change his game plan, do a 180, go to his grappling in the championship rounds, and he finishes those uh, pretty decisively, pretty dominantly. So much so that I felt like at the end, Noah, we had a pretty clear winner. We had a new champion in the light heavyweight division, and uh, that whole weird fiasco was going to be put behind us, and then he would go on to fight Glover. And that's not what happened at all. We had a vacant title fight end with still no champion. It's absolutely insane, this set of circumstances. And that's where we get into a split draw. I cannot really recall a fight, at least in the breakfast brain this morning, that I've ever heard of a split draw in a very, very, very long time. One judge gives it to Jan Blachowicz. One judge gives it to Magomed Ankalaev. And one judge scores it right down the middle, 47-47. And I was just left utterly perplexed, Noah, sitting on the couch with our our good friends last night watching that fight and watching that result be read off after uh, a very interesting result we're going to talk about in a second in the co-main as well. What a weird way to end a card that was so incredible up until the last two fights of the evening. And, And really, when you look at a split draw in a championship fight with no new champion coming out of it, it's it's unprecedented stuff here, Noah, that we're dealing with. Uh, so it is quite in rare company. Um, I got to be honest, Dom. I put the headline here. Really thought I was going to come on here and go after the judging and start it right here. But I can't do it. I'm all right with the draw. I'm okay with the draw. I am. I actually was expecting you to come out a little more hot and heavy in your uh, in your opening statements because I know that I figured you were more on in the camp that had uh, scored the fight for Uncle. It is a terrible way to end a card. Absolutely terrible way to end a card. But I don't think it was a bad call to make this a draw. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's as clear as some people that Ankalaev won this fight outright. But um, mad if they had given the fight to Ankalaev. But I personally scored it a draw. Mm. So if I personally scored it that way, I cannot be mad that that's the outcome that they came to a consensus on. And truthfully, Dom. Um, it, it's a downer for sure. It leaves, it's actually 
quite a disaster for this division. But I don't know if either guy deserved to walk away with the title. This is sort of the outcome I had hoped would happen when Rose Namajunas fought Carla Esparza. It felt when Carla won the title because I was like, that's not title winning performance. Both guys had their moments in this fight. This was not a Rose versus Carla level bad fight. You know, Blahovich had the great success with the calf kicks early on. And then Ankalaev had great success in the later rounds with getting the takedowns, uh, landing some good ground and pound, keeping that top pressure. But it was such a snooze of a fight like halfway through that I honestly, I mean, my scorecard read 47-47, but I just didn't care anymore. And I think that's the problem is like, if you're going to award the title off this to Ankalaev, the guy who's kind of been thought of as perhaps a future title holder, this isn't the way that I want to see a guy start his title reign. Not with that. So I'm actually, you know, some way I, in 12 hours later, less than 12 hours later, I almost come to you saying, you know what? I am kind of glad that it was scored a draw. I'm curious what your response to that is, because I know you have have to disagree with me yeah i'll say uh at least our other vacant title fights should be a lot more exciting than this one but i don't know like uh dana really hit this really hard in the press conference last night that it was just like this very bad bad awful fight but i almost feel like he was saying that because he was so mad at the way that it ended with no champion because i didn't think it was like terrible by any means i thought the the opening like first round by the way i feel like the first round is where the scorecards really come into play that's where that draw comes down to is round one for me because i feel like round two and three was very clear for Jan because of the leg kick damage and whatnot uh so round one just felt like a relatively high level for at least 205ers anyway feeling out round two and three Jan was getting the advantage on the feet which i guess i expected to a certain extent but not in the way in which he was doing it um i was honestly impressed though that magomed was able to revert and change his game plan because if he's kept on the feet he was going to lose that fight he was going to get a tko loss um i felt he could have done more when he had yawn on the ground because yawn just had no way of going about getting up so i felt like he could have really pushed it to try and get a finish better in those final two rounds um and i guess some would say he tried in round five considering a few people or not a few a lot of people scored at a 10-8 round i actually didn't even score that a 10-8 round um, I thought it was like right on the borderline, though, so I have no complaints with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, from what I've seen from both of these guys, this fight played out honestly m- more exciting than the worst case scenario I was thinking going in. I thought it could have been a lot more boring um, in hindsight now that I've seen the fight play out, but you nobody went out and took that title at the end of the day. And that's why no one came out with the title. It's crazy. Um, I d- decided to look up the scorecard. You mentioned uh, round one. And uh, how would you, how would you feel to know that all three judges scored round one for Blahovich? It was round three that was the discrepancy yeah. round. Yeah, I think that's crazy. I think that's shocking, really. I think round one was the closest round in that whole fight. Round three was essentially a copy-paste of round two. 
with all of the leg kicks that were being landed on Magomed again. So yeah, I was, that's what got me when I was looking at those scorecards. Yeah. But not to be, um, not to be a man without a plan. Fight comes to his post-fight press conference, Dom. And, uh, they're kind of, you know, asking him, I don't know what the question was that prompted it, but you know, they sort of said, what do you do now? Essentially, with the division, there's no champion. The fight wasn't something. I mean, it's not like an all-time bad fight, but it's not necessarily one that I think people are clamoring to be run back. Yeah, um, exactly. So what do you do? Glover Teixeira, of course, was sort of told that he would be next in line. So this was like crazy. What was that? He was up in the air. You know, what's his situation? Here's what you do. You get Glover Teixeira to fight Jamal Hill in Brazil. For UFC 283, I was yeah. like, okay, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I went, you know what? I'm okay with it. <laughs> I ain't mad at that one. That's an interesting fight. Now I do have to say for every thrill, there's an agony. Got to feel sorry for Anthony Smith. He's sort of left in limbo. Yeah. I guess he found out during the broadcast while he was working the desk that this move had been made and that ultimately left his main event with Jamal Hill scrapped. I believe that was supposed to take place in March. So now that that kind of leaves Anthony Smith in an awkward place um, in the division. So I do feel for him, but for this vacant title fight that's been booked for Brazil, Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill, that's a really interesting fight. Really interesting fight. Because Jamal Hill has a ton of potential. He's got great power. He's got the youthfulness. He's got explosiveness, the athleticism. But Glover Teixeira is so just good everywhere. He's got a great ground game. He's got good striking. He's got good submissions, good ground impact, good wrestling, all of it. How does Jamal Hill handle going up against a guy who, even at his age, is sort of the full pack? When Jamal maybe isn't as well-rounded. I think it's a great fight. The Shara deserves that shine. And I, for one, can't wait to see it. I'm curious, Dom, when you heard this was the fight that was made, what your thoughts were. Any complaints on the matchup? Steam ahead. Let's go. Oh, no. You, this is awesome. I think this is great. You, we don't see things like this happen very much. But... uh you think it happens quite some quite a lot, by the way. The UFC quickly just went with this and changed it. Um, but you can't have a, a belt, a division with no champion. You just can't do it. So what do you do? You put Glover in his home country of Brazil. He still gets the shot that he wanted because he wanted on that card to fight for the vacant title. You put him with Jamal Hill, who honestly, next man up. I don't mind one bit that Jamal is getting a chance. He's a contender series guy. He's looked great thus far in the UFC. He's had main events now. It's perfect. It really is perfect. It's a huge opportunity for Jamal. It is by far the toughest test that he's had to face because it's going to be the most well-rounded fighter that he has faced in the biggest fight that Hill has ever been in. He's going to have to really answer a lot of questions to win this fight. Specifically, can he keep the fight on the feet? Because you have to envision, even though Glover's a good boxer, he does not want to strike with a guy like Jamal Hill. He wants to go to his bread and butter. He wants to use his grappling and his jiu-jitsu to get the win, much like he did against Jan Blahovich. Can Hill keep it on the feet? That's the biggest question. If he keeps it on the feet, 
Jamal Hill could be a light heavyweight champion. I'm not counting Glover out on the feet. I just think it's a tall task for Glover if it stays standing. I love everything about it. You got to be quick thinking on your feet when you're this big of an organization. They did that. I saw people throwing hate around that they were doing it. Why? Why? The two guys that fought last night can't turn around and just do it again or can't turn around and fight Glover in January. They just fought for five rounds. Magomed has, doesn't even have legs to walk on this morning. And Jan got beat up pretty bad the final two rounds. This is perfect. And the biggest loser of the situation, at least this new fight, is Anthony Smith, like Noah hinted. It hurt me. Oh, it hurt me to watch him find out live, and they interviewed him about it. He was very, very upset. John Anik really took the reins and did good in that segment. So I would imagine the UFC will still take care of our boy Anthony. They're not just going to leave him in the dust. He's a company man. He's a good fighter. He's a fun fighter. A lot of main events under his belt. They'll find something new for him or maybe even give him a chance to potentially fight the winner because Yuri's out for so long. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, people. So I think this is the best case scenario for the UFC and for us fans, Noah. I really do. Yeah, I'm a little more pessimistic on Andy Smith. I'm a little worried he's going to get lost in the shuffle. There's no chance he fights the winner of that fight because he's coming off a loss. I don't think you put him in a title fight. But um, maybe he does get him on Klyev or Blahovich. But now it just delays it more. Every month that's lost is a month that he could be building himself up to a title fight. So it's a shame, but... That's the way you, I mean, honestly, if, if you would, it's the way that it has to be because of what happened in that main event. It's just, sometimes it happens that way. It's a shame, but, um, I wouldn't have been upset. Well, I wouldn't have been upset. I guess if the, I was going to say if the roles had been reversed, if Anthony Smith got the title fight, but again, he's coming off a loss. You can't give him a title fight. Um, let's move on to the coma where this headline doesn't, it doesn't change too much. Because <laughs> Patty Pimblett ultimately gets the win via split decision over Jared Gordon. Your thoughts on the fight and on the judge's decision? The same to let loose here, Dom. Tell the yeah. people what's brain, every emotion. Uh, let yeah. it loose. Yeah, no. Also, this guys, this wasn't even a split decision. This was a unanimous across the board. Patty Pimblett won this fight on all three judges' scorecards. That's one, problem number one, that not even one judge gave this fight to Jared Gordon. That's There's big red flag number one right there. Number two, first off, there were, there were no big moments by anyone in this fight, by any means. And what's the number one judging criteria? Damage, right? So if you really go through and you look at damage, to be truthful – in terms of damaging blows, most of them happened in round number one. And most of them, in my opinion, were in Jared Gordon's favor. Uh, so I scored round one, Jared Gordon. Round two, much of the same. Uh, it was it was on the feet. The first two rounds, I'll say this. In term, I'm trying to go back and forth between how I scored and just going minute by minute of the fight as well. I was surprised that Gordon was... Um, willing to stand as much as he was against Patty. But as the fight played out, you kind of saw that he wasn't really ever behind in the striking to Patty. So why not stand and take your chances, especially since Patty seemed to show pretty good takedown defense. Jared might as well stand and keep landing the big shots. Round two was the closest um, round of the, the fight. I think it's 
pretty easy to say round two is the closest. That was the one I remember looking at our buddies and thinking, hmm, that was a close one. That was a close one, but I still feel like it was in a way similar to round one, and I scored round one for Jared, so I probably have to go Jared round two. So I have Jared 2-0 going into the third and final round. The third round was a snoozer. Nothing happened in the third round. So what happens when there's no strikes or damage? We go to the second knob down, which is what? Control time, right? Octagon control, ground control, clinch control, whatever the case may be, wherever the control happens. Jared Gordon had Patty in the clinch back on the fence for about four minutes of five in round number three. And during the time when they weren't in the uh, clinch, nothing really happened from either. So in a round where nothing happened, but we continue to go down the pecking order of how the judges score the rounds, Jared should win the third round because of his clinch control time that he held Patty on the cage. So at the end, it's three to zero, Jared Gordon. I scored the fight three to zero for Jared Gordon. The only round I could see Patty getting is round two, which still means 29-28, Jared Gordon. So I, I I do remember though when the fight ended, I thought it was so weird. I said this all in like the same breath. Man, Patty, Patty lost, guys. He just lost to Jared Gordon. But then I was also like, but why do I feel like Patty's about to win this fight or something along those lines is what I said. But in my, I'm, I'm like not actually believing that's what's going to happen, but I had to say it in case it did happen, basically. And then Bruce Buffer reads the scorecards, 29-28, unanimous decision. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he did. He did fucking lose. Jared won. Patty the Batty Pimblet. Wow. Wow. I mean, wow. Unbelievable. No, and I don't like throwing around the word robbery, but this was a robbery. Noah, floor's yours. Wow. Wow. The R word, as yeah. we like to call it. Yeah. Um, I've used it maybe once or twice. Uh, yeah. Make it a third. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll one-up you, Dom. Double robbery. <laughs> this is this is this is a shame, man. This is terrible. What do you see to give Patty Pimblet two rounds? Again, I actually I had it 29-28 for Gordon. So I was one of the people that gave Patty round two. But I was messaging some friends from college who were watching the card while it was going on. And I said, boys, because they're all Patty fans, you know, but they weren't blind to it. You know, they kind of understood like, whoa, wait a minute. He's not looking dominant here. I said, boys, this is that best one Jordan right now. And then round three happened. And yes, nothing really um, which we're going to get more into that because I got a bone to pick with our, our, our good friend, Dana White. I mean, he clearly won this fight, not, not an ounce of doubt that he won this fight, but for some reason, all three judges saw it the same. They gave Patty Pimblett two rounds and he walks away to winner and Dominic, you know, it's been Patty Pimblett, um, it seemed like he was a guy that could do no wrong for the longest time. Everybody loved him. He's got the partnership with Barstool. 
He's just his popularity is growing so rapidly. He's becoming this megastar. And then, well, the comments that came out of his podcast he did with Dana White talking about Ariel, his MMA Hour show, and kind of all the receipts that kind of caught Patty in some lies and all this stuff. So Patty didn't look too good uh, through that whole thing. And then um, his uh, post-fight little speech there was kind of cringe. The the part where he's talking about Jared Gordon and working with the charities and stuff that's awesome, you know, because I, I know Jared Gordon's the guy that's had a really just tough history. If you take that part out, this whole fight interview was so cringe to me. I almost wonder if Patty prepared this before the fight, thinking that he was going to win this decisively, because everything he said was how this fight wasn't close. He said, I took the third round off because I knew I was up two rounds to none. Uh, Dana said he took off round three. Why are you going Gordon in the post-fight press conference saying he shouldn't have taken off round three? Hey, Dana, knock, knock, buddy. Did you not hear your boy in the octagon say he lost round three? Um, it... <laughs> And then he's saying the fight wasn't close. He knew he won, all this stuff. And it was the first time. I know I've had my thoughts on Patty as in terms of his potential. I've always liked the guy. I've always wanted to see him succeed. I've always wanted to see him prove me wrong. But I believed he had a ceiling. And that ceiling was at maybe a 10 to 15 ranked fighter. That's at best what I think he can do. A little better after this fight. And also... Uh, but I guess my, my point is that I've always liked the guy. But after this interview, I kind of went, man, I kind of want to see this guy get humbled. Like, I, I, I don't root against – like, I, I tend to be very unbiased in my in fights, and I'll remain to do so. But I can't help but while the interview was going on and when it was over, I went, man, this guy needs to kind of be knocked down a peg or two. Like, he just – he doesn't realize how he just got handed mm -hmm. this win. And, like – he just tried to play it off like he's... I mean, he was asking for fight of the night and all this. He showed zero self-awareness here, Dom. Zero. He tried to hit Joe Rogan with the little zinger at the beginning. You know, how much you paying me for this interview? Yeah. And nobody laughed. Rogan had any idea what he was talking about. It was just not a great night. Yeah, Patty gets the win. It was ultimately like Patty won the battle with his scorecards, but he lost the war a little bit because he he's definitely gonna consider he's gonna keep growing. But it's gonna be a bit of now you're gonna see a lot of booze mixed in with the cheers, Dom. It's the same route Connor McGregor had that point. He was at his peak. And then he started to do some stuff that pissed some people off, and there was booze mixed in with the cheers. Patty's the kind of personality that maybe it was inevitable that he was always going to be kind of a figure, but this week, they're not a universally beloved fighter any longer. He will now be a very controversial fighter. He will be split down the middle. There'll be people that are saying Patty's overrated. He's not that good. And there'll be people that are saying Patty's a future champion. And if you don't think so, then you suck, you know, whatever. Um, but I can sit here firm today and say I'm doubling down on what I've said about Patty up to this point. He's good. He's not great. 
And I'm I'm staying by that. Uh, yes, I, one fight is not enough to, you know, he still has time to improve, of course, and get better and better. But based off what I saw, he got outstruck. And that's that's clear. He was out Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon landed the more damaging shots. You know, give Patty Pimblett one of these killers in the top 15 and he will lose. And he will lose bad. Good fighter, exciting fighter. He is never going to be a title challenger or a threat to the title. Yeah, Noah. Um, I think it's well first i'll start with the fight week and then go into like what could be next yada yada yada. not a good fight week for patty not good it started uh controversially but people were just kind of treading water like people on both sides whatever whatever and then this decision happens to be the icing on the cake and then i really do see that narrative now where there's going to be people tuning in to see patty succeed and win and there's going to be a lot of people tuning in to see Patty lose. And it's kind of the same situation we kind of felt this way with Hamzat during his last fight uh, with all that situation. that It's like these, these big stars that the UFC have, but now there's going to be people on both sides of the fence. And it really, from our standpoint, does make it more intriguing to kind of follow the careers now and what's going to happen. Just because we do stay kind of neutral, we can't necessarily pick too many sides when we're trying to uh, bring great content for you guys about this sport. So, in terms of his skill set, now I think it's safe to say that um, I was a little bit higher on Patty than Noah, and not saying that I ever, I never said he was going to be like a champion or anything, but I was just a little bit higher. We kind of just would go back and forth, nothing ever too extreme. But now, wow, we're probably as close as we've ever been on Patty in terms of his, his potential and skill set, Noah, because I'm looking at the top 15 right now. And I'm telling you, I don't see one person. I don't see one person that if Patty were to get in his next fight or maybe even next two fights that he beats. This, it, it's in a way not his fault because he's in the most stacked division, right? But if you really do look, he got outstruck by Jared Gordon. No, what's Jared Gordon known for? His wrestling and his grappling, he outstruck and landed the more damaging blows against Patty on the feet and controlled him in the clinch. And then you look at the rest of this division and the levels and levels and levels. When you go from Grant Dawson at 15, then you look at uh, Jalen Turner at number 10, then you look at Michael Chandler and Rafael Fazeev at number 5 and 6. Like th At each peg, every five fighters... There's a completely new dynamic, and they're all so unique in their skill sets. I am, I've never been more intrigued to see the matchmaking for Patty than I am right now. What is the UFC going to do now when it comes to matchmaking? Because this time, while yes, Patty didn't get some spectacular finish, let us not forget he's faced adversity in those first three fights. It didn't come easy in any of those. This one sure the hell didn't come easy. But you, if you're the UFC, you get to a point where you have no choice but to begin putting them closer and closer to top 15. I am very, very interested to see who he gets matched up with next in this division and throughout the remainder of his push, especially like if he were to win one more and then likely get top 15 after that. No, I'm telling you, we're in the same ballpark now with our feelings towards his future in the company. 
Yeah, let me just say that I guarantee his next fight is going to be a step back. Guarantee it. Because mm. the mm. UFC realize how cl- they're going to realize how close they came to losing a potential cash cow. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if they really would have lost one. I mean, a loss is a loss. They happen in MMA. But right. in their eyes, how close they came to that blemish, you know, there's not really a name that jumps out to me, but there's not a chance that they're going to give him some, you know, borderline top 15 no. guy. Like, can you imagine him fighting a Dober? Like, Drew Dober is one of my guys, obviously, so maybe I'm a little biased, but Drew Dober would fucking smash Patty right now. I'm just being honest. You know, who knows? Patty could come back and look. But... What I don't think people are accepting is through every fight Patty's been in, there have been these signs. And Jared Gordon Mm -hmm. just really highlighted it even more. Like, he got cracked in both of his first two fights. The chin up in the air, no no striking defense, it appears. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes next. It's really just a shit win for him and... They robbed him of it. It's plain and simple. He was robbed. And Dominic, what's interesting is there was a ref, or not a ref, a judge for this fight that scored at 29-28 Pimblet. And you want to know where he was 24 hours before that fight? Let him know. Let him know. At Bellator 289. And was one of the three judges who... Well, I shouldn't say one of the three. He was the judge who scored the main event of Bellator 289 for Danny Sabatello, 50 to 45. So, Dominic, I think that means that we move on to Bellator 289. I think that's a nice little segue there. (laughs) Yeah. And um, ultimately, though, the, the judging for that main event does not ultimately come back to to haunt Latour because the right guy wins. Rafael Stotts gets the win via split decision. And Patchy Mix with the submission over Magomed Magomedov became the first man to finish Magomedov, and he did it in round two as well. So, Dominic, our finals are set for the Bantamweight Grand Prix. Predict as of now, before the fight's even been booked yet, but how would you predict that fight to go right now? If I had to pick right now who wins the Bantamweight Grand Prix Finals, I have to go Patchy Mix. I, I have to. How do I not? How do I not? He looked flawless against Magomed Magomedov. Magomed Magomedov. Sorry. The tongue is really moving this morning. Um, he had every answer to every question that was thrown at him by Magomed in that fight. Takedown defense was good, and if he did get taken down, he would immediately snatch a guillotine that would – and end up with him getting top control and forcing Magomed on the bottom. He uh, is a better striker than Magomed, um, and I feel like if you mat- matching him up with Stotts, the size is going to be very, very different in that fight, first and foremost. If you look at their striking, I feel like Patchy can maintain a good distance to not get cracked by Stotts's power. And on the ground, I'm not going to put anyone above Patchy Mix on the ground because of what he just did on Friday night, man. He looked like he took took it to a new level, like he unlocked a new gear almost. This Patchy Mix, this version we saw Friday night, 
looked like a Bellator champion to me. And how about this? I didn't even know it, but his girlfriend is Tatiana Suarez. I mean, power couple people. Don't I can't let anybody forget about our girl Tatiana Suarez. So very, very impressive performance by Patchy. One of my biggest takeaways of the entire MMA weekend was Patchy's performance. So I would take him uh, over Stotts Noah if I had to pick right now. And I probably will feel that way when the finals get booked. Curious to see how you feel about that. Well, let me just say that Patchy Mix um, has come such a long way. I've been very high on him for a while, but uh, the way he was able to mix in the striking here along with his great submissions um, was quite quite a sight. I mean, he he looked a level above Magomedov, and that's yes. really saying something. Yes. While in our main event, I thought of this matchup as Sabatello, is a, but he doesn't have the fully flushed out game. And that's why he won this fight. Damage trumps all, unless you are, uh, I forget which judge it was. Is it Derek Cleary? I don't know. I don't remember which judge it is. I don't want to give names that aren't true. But is extraordinary takedowns. That man covers a football field with the, <laughs> the amount of space he covers when he goes for a takedown. He is extraordinary. He can shoot from six feet away because he wasn't able to land the damage each round he wasn't able to ultimately that pressure on him land some a good enough ground and pound get any submission attempts so because of that Stotts was able to sometimes take rounds by simply out striking him so that's why he won and you know, if if when I look at the matchup now, Stotts versus Mick, that Dominic, you are so like firm in your patchy mix prediction right now because that's quite a, you know, that's that you've come a long way with patchy mix. I mean, I remember you were very high on James Gallagher when he fought patchy mix. Surprised that you've changed to the point where you think he's going to beat Rafael Stotts because I'm not even sure if I think that, but it is hard. It's a hard matchup for Stotts just because of the size of, of Mix. But uh, let's mention the co-main event here, Liz Carmouche versus Juliana Velasquez. Liz Carmouche retains the title. This time does it in very emphatic fashion. Your thoughts on Liz Carmouche's performance? Yeah, yeah, way different this time. Uh, Liz, and I, you know, on Thursday I was kind of even like, I feel like Liz needs to really press forward because she's just a little you know, freak, like athletically, she's got just this power and presence about her or pressure, I should say. And that's what she did. She pressed forward immediately and did not allow Juliana to have any space to be able to strike at range or do anything grappling wise. So the first round was, I mean, a relative dud. I mean, she kind of just held Juliana on the cage the whole time. Um, but I feel like that, that in Liz's mind, put it into her brain that like, okay, I can take it even one more gear and probably get a finish. And that's what she did in the second round. She was able to get the fight to the floor. She was able to kind of pin Juliana in positions that she couldn't get out of. And that's what led to the armbar submission, a very unique style in the way that which she did it. She kind of ended up standing up and was holding Juliana's arm while she was standing. Um, but to see Liz still having this amount of success, being one of the pioneers of women's, mixed martial arts. I just think it's a beautiful story, man. And the fact that she was now able to do, do it, get this title defense out of the way against a rival with no controversy, no questions, no doubts were left. 
Uh, I, I think it's a great story. I think it really is. I don't know really how many fights she wants to continue doing, but she's undefeated in Bellator now. Four out of her five wins are by stoppage. It's it's almost like she's just kind of gotten a second wind in her career, and it's nice to see her succeeding. So a more power to her for as long as she continues to fight. Did you kind of have any differing thoughts, or do you think Liz made the proper adjustments to get a decisive victory in the second go-around? Yeah, I, I just think that she showed a lot here. And uh, this is another one for Juliana Velasquez that's a bit disappointing, Dom. She just didn't – she just – doesn't quite have the full rounded game like Liz Carmouche does. Someone who's really fought fought for so many promotions, different types of fighters. She's been there from the beginning. She's really developed a well rounded skill set. Juliana Velasquez just doesn't have that. She's sort of disappointed. Been in since then. The Denise Keelholtz fight was much closer than I think we had anticipated. Then you look at the first fight with Carmouche. Velasquez looked great early and then finished in round four. Like, that's disappointing. And then here she comes back and gets a finish. It's, it's weird the way Velasquez's kind of career has gone since beating a long-standing champion in Alima Lane McFarlane. Uh, she's sort of fallen back toward the median uh, ever since then. She looked like she was a like, really top-level talentor. And now she's sort of this kind of a fa- um, she's just among the the rest of the women in the division. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like it's kind of a shame. You know, it's nice one who's a veteran, like I mentioned on Thursday, fought in the very first UFC women's fight against Ronda Rousey, the very first title fight. Um, mm-hmm. For her to kind of full circle, come here at the twilight years of her career and make a sustainable title run. I don't know which fight's next for her, but forward to seeing what's what what she's got left in the tank um so i looked up the scorecards for patty pimblett jared gordon it was uh doug crosby was the yes judge in question so that's the judge who also scored sabatello 50 45 at one fight chris lee was also one of the judges so we knew that should we should have known that was just doomed from the start right yeah, yeah, not not a good uh, judging combination, Noah. <laughs> uh, let's get into the rest of UFC 282. Drickus Duplessis submits Darren Till in round three. This ended up being your fight of the night, sure. uh, the the night, and it also kind of sloppy in parts. It's it's sort of hard to one um, round one. Drickus just unloaded a bevy of shots uh, with Darren Till against the K. Had him down on a knee. Um, Darren Till trying to work his way back up. Drickle that right arm. I mean, was using his head as a punching bag just over and over and over and over again, landing these shots. And uh, Darren Till seemed to be more focused on telling the referee do not stop actually getting out of it. Man, he was he was itching to jump in and, and cause an early stoppage. You know, he was he you could tell he was he was lined up like he was Usain Bolt about to try to beat the world try to get the quickest referee stoppage in UFC history. I could see it in his eye. But um he had exhausted quite a bit of his energy, looking a little more tired, and Darren Till started piecing him apart. 
But then, Dom, round three comes, and the whole Achilles heel for Darren Till in this fight, once again, really known for his takedowns, but he landed him after the fight. Darren Till did say he thinks he's out again, which, if that's so, I mean, just how unfortunate for this guy, just another string of bad luck and bad injuries. So if he was fighting with a torn ACL again, that sort of explains why he just sort of lacked any sort of takedown defense in this fight. But he does ultimately get um, – Drickus gets the full mount. Um, obviously, Darren rolls on, you know, to get his back, and then a choke's put in, and Darren looked like that might have been kind of what took took it out of him. Dana said that afterwards. He said that he felt like that slam that Darren ate in round three was likely would zapped any hope he had left for winning. So that's why the tap kind of came kind of quick. So Dominic, a big win for Drickus, a big loss for Darren Till. Dana didn't seem to believe that this would drop Darren Till's stock at all because it was fight of the night. It was a great fight back and forth. But what do you think? Um, and that was part of my reservations with Darren Till. The injury history, the performances that we've seen, the lack of activity. There's just so many things not working in his favor to improve his skill set, to keep up with these guys. And I think it showed here. I think Drickus did display that he's more well-rounded than people think. But at the end of the day, when someone doesn't really have takedown defense, it makes it a lot easier on Drickus to display his grappling. So... It's a shame, and man, if Darren really did tear his ACL again, that's just, it's so unfortunate for this guy. A guy who came into the UFC and just really grabbed it by the balls and was catapulted quickly to a title. It's just, what a tale of two careers, really, it's been in the UFC for Darren. So I wish the best for him. I hope he didn't get a serious injury. But Drickus, wow, what do you what do you make of Drickus here? Because on one hand, I'm like, man. This guy's got potential. He's good at striking. He's got power. He's got really good grappling that people don't get to see very often. But then on the other side of it, sometimes he can really get, I don't know, like he he gassed himself for a round, but then he looked great in the third round. So maybe he just, if he goes hard one round, he has to take next round off. Then he can come back one off, one off, snip, snap, snip, snap, as Michael uh, Scott once notoriously said. But I, I don't know, like, it's it's I'll say it's going to be interesting to see how Drickus can fare with this top 10 competition because yes Darren was number 10 but Darren never at least shouldn't probably have been number 10 in this division I don't know maybe that's too harsh but I don't necessarily think he should have but now he's going to fight legitimate dudes that have been fighting for titles and like the Cannoneers the Stricklands the the Bobby Knuckles those types of guys so how's he going to fare with this next step up the Derek Brunson's even who have good grappling that's where I think Drickus can answer more questions. Like he's answering a couple here and there for me in terms of showing me his skill set, but there's still holes that I feel like we need to see patched up for him to really, really take that next leap. But he's at a point in his career where I think they can be at least duct taped where he can get past these guys and get to a big opportunity. So we'll see what happens, man. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I I mean, I think Darren Till's a pretty firm top 10 in this division. I don't know. Do you really think he's he's not like you thought he was overranked? I mean, I, I look at the fight with like Robert Whitaker where he was not outclassed or anything. I mean, that's probably one of the toughest fights 
Whitaker's been given outside of, I guess, Israel Adesanya. Like, yeah, I know Darren Till's had a lot of injuries, but I mean, I've, yeah, he's, and he's had losses like to Derek Brunson before that and whatnot, but I mean, he was, I thought he was a pretty clear lot for Drickus. So, um, yes, there are more questions to the head, but I think it was a pretty big statement. Yeah. Oh, it was definitely a statement win. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it for Drickus. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it's weird. My relationship with Darren, it's just rocky right now. I, I don't know. I just view the inactivity and the injuries. It's like, <laughs> I, I guess he's number 10 because there's not a lot of people that come into this division very often in the back end. So that kind of cements it, I guess, too. But there's a lot more different levels and different types of fighter that Drickus needs to fight, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Ilya Tuporia, Dom. He told Bryce Mitchell when they faced off, he said, I have to finish you, brother, but at least you'll still have your effing farm. And, well, he finished them, brother. And he did it pretty decisively. Um, he submitted Bryce Mitchell in round two. Submitted him, Dom. Yeah. This man's doing it. He's submitting Bryce Mitchell. The guy is as legit in the octagon. And he will he will be in the title picture here soon. He might as well be already. Bryce Mitchell is damn good. A yep. damn good fighter. You look at the way yep. he handled Edson Barboza not too long ago. And literally, Ilya did to Bryce what Bryce did to Edson. Ilya is a terrific fighter. And not to go back to kind of bashing Patty, but... I hope any Patty fans guys, you want none of hand sanitizer boy. You want none of it because Patty Pimbley. He'd smash him the next week. So I hope that puts to bed any of this Patty versus Elia talk because Patty don't want that smoke. I'm just saying. I'm just being honest. So Tuporia is now one. Of, he is in that top 10. He's in that discussion now, Dom. And very fun for Ilya. Yeah. Uh, my God, every fight's fun for Ilya. This guy is a future title contender, a future title challenger. Dare I say a future title holder. He's 25 years old, and if you weren't impressed by this performance, uh, in the beautiful words of GSP, I, I don't know what type of performance you can be impressed by because he dominated this fight everywhere that the fight went. And the fact that he can keep such a like uh, aggressive pace and not really look tired. I think that's impressive too. Like, yeah, I get it. This isn't five round fights, uh, but Noah, maybe just maybe the guy earned a five round main event against, Oh, I don't know. Maybe a guy like Giga Chikadze, maybe a guy like Calvin Cater. Any of those sound fun to you? Cause I'm kind of salivating at the mouth thinking of him fighting one of those two guys. Give the man his first five round main event Give him a perennial contender at 145. That is what should be next for Ilya Toporia. He is going to be approaching title contention very rapidly uh, in 2023, I do believe, Noah. I think there's a name you missed in there as a potential opponent. The name is Max Holloway. That's who should oh, be fighting boy. Max Holloway next is Ilya Toporia. And I almost wonder, Dom, if you didn't mention it because – you might be just a little bit scared of what Ilya might do to Max Holloway. Your response. Oh, well, 
Yeah, I mean, Max's chin has proved to be great thus far, but Ilya Tapura sure the hell hits like a Mac 150 truck coming in at your face. I think that's a great fight, but I, I feel like that is the type of fight that while is hugely, hugely rewarding should Toporia win, it could also be a fight that you push this guy with a lot of hype very quickly to the number one guy, and then he could potentially realize the next step in a way. You know what I mean? Is that fair? And that's not a Max fanboy coming out. I think I'm just kind of keeping it real here because I, I feel like launching Ilya from a Bryce Mitchell dominant performance to Max Holloway is just a bit more than he can chew right now. He could prove me wrong. I just don't think that's what the UFC should do next if they want to really capitalize on his rise. That's all. I'm kind of looking at the matchup even from Max Holloway's point of view. Max Holloway was utterly by Alexander Volkanovsky from three times. So because of that, he's firmly out of the title picture for now. Mm-hmm. Sure, could you put him up against a Giga Chikadze or, I mean, could you run back him and Ortega or run back him and Cater? Or him and Korean Zombie or whatever. Like, yeah, these are all, like, good fights. But none of them, there's not really a whole lot at stake. Because when Max is already kind of the title picture, what is there to gain if you're the Korean Zombie, who is also firmly out of the title picture? You know, what? there's not a whole lot at stake for that fight. If you put Ilya Tuporia in there, though, a guy who... You know, that would be a big jump up for him. And he were to win. Suddenly it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This guy, sudden, you look at him, Allinger, maybe. And for Max Holloway, it's technically a step backwards. It won't get him any closer to a title picture, but there's no fight for Max Holloway that gets him any closer to a title again. So that's why I think that that would be a great fight to make more than any other Holloway. I'm looking at it more from Max's perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint on it. Uh, Max is just, that's the problem, right, I think, for the UFC in trying to match-make Max is, like, what what do you do? Like, you, you put him in these fights, and if he wins, great, but it doesn't do anything necessarily for him. But if he loses, then it just catapults someone else. That's the, that's the predicament here with Max Holloway uh, at 145 pounds anyway. So if he stays at featherweight, I think it's a very interesting situation on how the UFC goes about it. If he leaves and goes to like lightweight, obviously, then that's a whole new story and it opens up the gates for these guys. So I don't hate it. I think it's a, it would be a huge opportunity. I'll say I'll be shocked if that's the fight the UFC makes. All right, next one. The youngest signing in UFC history, 17-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. is now freshly 18. He's a senior in high school. He got the first round submission over Jay Perrin. There was a lot of interest for them. a lot of my friends that aren't like fans. They were texting me asking about Raul Rosas Jr. And he looked damn good. So I, I think he killed it. But, you know, it seems like his name's caught on a lot quicker than like Chase Hooper's did, who also came in at like 18 or 19 years old. So, you know, there might be something here with Raul Rosas. Yeah, oh, I think you could have said it better. The the place went nuts 
for him. The place acted like he was some UFC veteran that's been there for 20 fights before. I was shocked at how he was. Uh, I mean, they and they gave him the prelim headlining spot. Clearly, they made the right choice. There were a lot of people there that got to see him perform, uh, and he gets a first-round submission over a guy that, that has uh, more experience and has a couple UFC fights under his belt. Dude, kid's impressive. 18 years old. Don't, there's no hurry. That's the beauty. There's no hurry to rush him. You can take your time building him. Uh, you can let him really improve fight by fight with his skill set and the type of matches that you give him. And I think he is a perfect example, Noah, of the next wave, the next uh, generation of the sport. And he's a perfect example of how nowadays there are people coming into this sport who start as kids training the all-around sport of mixed martial arts, whereas traditionally these years past people will start as wrestling and then they work into MMA or they start in judo and work into MMA or jujitsu and work into the whole game of MMA. Now, and he's 18 years old, the guy was born in 2004. He was born in an era where the UFC was about to boom. They were really about to take off, especially as he was actually growing up as a child. Therefore, he begins training as a at a young age with the full range of skill sets. He's training striking when he's a kid. He's doing jujitsu. He's doing grappling. All of this at the youngest age is going to lead to more and more fighters like this getting in to the biggest organizations in the world at 18, 19, 20 years old, etc. Well said. Next up, Jarzinho Rosenstreich. Gets the 23-second TKO over Chris Dawkins. How much does this uh, actually do for Rosen? Uh, you know, get the stench of that Nganu loss off of him finally, and he can kind of be reborn like the Phoenix and all of a sudden go on a big run here? Or is it ultimately, is this just heavyweights being heavyweights? Oh, this is definitely heavyweights being heavyweights, Noah. And uh, Rosenstroik, though, the first fighter in UFC history to have three wins in 30 seconds or less. So that's quite a stat right there. Don't know if that'll be broken anytime soon. But truthfully, I feel like this fight said more about Chris Dawkins, unfortunately. We're talking about a guy that came in 4-0 very quickly in the UFC, all four by a knockout. Now he's lost three straight fights, all of them by knockout. But they came when he got the significant jumps up in competition. I, I I don't know. I think we've maybe saw Chris Dawkins not even rise too quickly, but reach his ceiling very quickly. And now I, I don't really know what the future could hold. Yes, he's fighting the top guys. I understand that. But I, I just leaves uh, a little worry, I guess, if you're a Chris Dawkins fan. Like, don't get me wrong. It's great. Biggie boy ended his losing skid. He's back in the win column. But a win over Dawkins, who is already coming in off of a skid in his own right, doesn't necessarily move Rosenstrike you know, up that much. So I think the bigger takeaway here is on the Dawkins side. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Because Dawkins was beat him and Tom Aspinall were the two. And it's it's crazy to see, even though Aspinall, of course, has the injury, how much further he's gotten than Dawkins. Even though their rankings may not be that far apart, um, it just seems like Aspinall is so much further ahead than Dawkins at this point. Luckily, this was a pretty fun fight back in adversity to do it, but he gets it done in round two, two minutes, 49 seconds in. It's a big win for Chris Curtis, correct? Oh, it absolutely is. It's a huge win. Uh, it definitely w was down, man. Like, But again, I think it just says more to Joaquin Buckley. He's better than 
and maybe I'm just creating some narrative, or maybe just not that many people talk about Joaquin Buckley's skill set all that often. But I always paint it out to where people are disrespecting his all-around game. But I'm going to keep doing it because I got to give respect to Joaquin Buckley. He's so much more than what that highlight real knockout said about him in 2020. Uh, but he looked good here. But Chris Curtis is just so durable, and he's so – uh, he stays composed outside of the Jack Hermanson fight, right? He let the emotions get the best of him there. But for the most part, in terms of the fights, he stays composed. He was able to make proper uh, adjustments. He caught the kick by Joaquin Buckley, held it, landed a beautiful knockout punch. Uh, he's, he's just a phenomenal boxer, uh, very good in the stand-up game in terms of his IQ. And he has power. He needed that. He, he's now going to be able to stay in the top 15, uh, he has a good record, 4-1 and one in the UFC. He's 35, so he realizes, and he's made it clear, that his window is not that large. But he's here for a good time, not a long time. And he proves it here again, No, I got to respect our Ohio fella. Yep, OHIO, of course. And I can't help but feel Buckley, this loss. I, I couldn't help but notice Brown wasn't in his corner. So I wonder if maybe fucking Buckley had taken some of that out of his training and that's what left him open for the, the kill shot. So yeah. um, good win for Chris Curtis. But uh, Joaquin Buckley, you're right. He's a very talented guy. Um, I don't think he's necessarily being disrespected. I just don't think that um, his knockouts obviously get the headlines because moments. But um, I do think he's more than that. I think he's got a more complete skill set. But then he, you know, right here was a big moment for him, and he loses. So if he was in like a really fun fight with someone, but he was able to showcase the wrestling, um, some more mix, mix punches, whatever, more combinations, whatever you want to say. If he had a fight like that, I think more people would realize how good he is. But until then, the moments everybody re- is going to remember with Joaquin Buckley are the knockouts, the knockout of the year with Dempa Kazagano. Um, last one. Billy Q, TKO's Alexander Hernandez. You know, Alexander Hernandez is an interesting case study about a guy who is very talented, but always finds himself in these firefights. You know, Alexander Hernandez is in a lot of firefights, especially it seems like in the last couple of years. And every time it seems like he's in one of these, he never can out-durable his opponent. You know, he cannot take the level of punishment that his opponent can. But the reason he loses is because his opponent can eat more than he can. Uh, Big win for Billy Q, but I saw this one coming strictly on that notion, and it sort of played out the way I kind of thought it would. Uh, Your observations watching this fight? No, I mean, copy and paste, Billy Q, quite frankly, point blank, has that dog in him. There's no other way around it. He's in fun fights every time out. He's so consistent in terms of what you see from him in the octagon with his skills. I'm not saying he's ever going to be a world beater or a world champion, but damn it, I'm going to ride the Billy Q train until the wheels fall off. Noah, how can you not love and respect this guy? Uh, I can't. I, I always am left feeling that I can't wait to hear about Billy Q's next fight announcement, man. And it's the same after UFC 282. Yeah. Well, that's it for UFC 282. We do have an update about my ghost bets. Mm. I sent Dom the three for the week. And let me go find them real quick. 
I put two units on Chris Curtis money line. Yes, uh, the ghost bets, by the way, are still suspended from betting on the sport of MMA. So because of that, uh, I, the only way I can be reinstated is if I get three ghost bets correct two weeks in a row. Ghost, I don't actually place them. I send them the Dom. If I get three in a row, two weeks in a row, then I'm reinstated. So Dominic, I went three for three this week. Chris Curtis money line, Darren Till, Drickus Duplessis over one and a half rounds, and Billy Corntillo money line. So I actually went four for four because Junior Jay Perrin under two and a half rounds, but I replaced it at the last second um, to Dom. So four for four. That means this is a big week. Because if I go three for three again, we'll be instated into the below average bet slip. But you were carrying the fort this week. Anything that stood out to you? Yeah, it's great. No, two weeks without you, two weeks of me losing my ass in front of our worldwide audience. That's the biggest takeaway for me. I need you back. That's what I need. I need Noah back in 2023. <laughs> um, listen, guys, again, uh, let, me, let me start with Friday night because – you know, who am I, right? I take one chance at when we're in Chicago, Bellator, I go with a big, you know, heavy favorite parlay and it hits. I'm like, shit, I'm going to do it again. It's going to hit again. No, one of the four legs on my Bellator parlay hit, never betting Bellator again. Uh, but into UFC 282, holy shit, was I left panicking? Was I left in pain throughout last night? Noah's got the text message receipts because I, I was just – I was wanting to make up for losses. I was wanting to continue making these plays because I didn't want to keep on losing all these bets. But then I, if I really do look at my bet slip here, no regrets, Noah, no regrets. Because Simon and Coslo under one and a half, I love the odds being at plus 100 because those guys combined for like one or two decisions and 13 fights uh, in their careers. And so being at plus odds, I just really loved it. But I knew that I'm like, okay, maybe it doesn't hit. So I put the two and a half on the parlay down there on the bottom. That fight ended. Oh, I forgot we didn't talk about it in the rest. It was very shortly thereafter the two and a half missed that it hit. So that's what causes the two-leg parlay to miss down there at the very bottom. Because Rosenstreich, shit, I surely didn't have to worry about that one hitting when it happened in 23 seconds. Then you want to talk about Till and Duplessis. You want to talk about heartbreak. <laughs> Under two and a half misses by 13 seconds. Are you kidding me? I thought I was going to throw up my Papa John's pizza, Noah, all over JP's dog. It was just a complete emotional damage. If you've ever seen those TikToks, that's what UFC 282 was for me. And it didn't help when the two fights ended the way they did. I can't talk about it anymore. I'm on a losing streak. Noah's on the a winning streak, but he's not even with me on the bet slip. I'm in shambles. I, I I could really see you talking through it there. Uh, you know how some people tweet through it like when they're, when they're in pain. I do that a lot. You know, I'm sweating. It's okay. I you are you look. I I understand. I put a even though I like when I when I thought when I suspended myself, it was going to help things because I had a lot better than me. So now it'll give him some shine. He'll be able to kind of carry the bet slip. It'll get better. 
well, then I realized I've actually put a ton of pressure on you by doing this. Because oh. now we're basically just done. There's no longer just our pick. So you can't, like, if you have a bad week, you can't blend in. Now it's just all on Dom. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess I didn't really think about that when I did this, but that's okay. Um, that's all right. Better luck next week. May, Dominic, maybe in 2023, I may be back. But, Dominic, there is only one way that we end the show around here. I'm actually going to go first uh, time, Dominic, because I just want to give one of our good friends, um, Jake. He has been training hard in jiu-jitsu for the past God, how long has he been doing it now? It's been a couple of years, a year and a half for a long time. With the Jake was a quarterback in high school, hasn't done really any sort of comp, comp sport since then. Um, delved into the world of jiu-jitsu, has loved it. It's been big for competed in his first tournament this weekend, and he came in second place. So I just wanted to give a special shout out to him. I'm really proud of him. I know Dom was in attendance. I know Dom has some of the same thoughts, but I just wanted to say I couldn't be there in person, unfortunately. You know, just glad that he was able to do really so. Dominic, your closing statement. Oh, yeah, it's going to be uh, about the same thing. I was able to attend that in person, and uh, Jake did awesome. It was awesome to see his hard work and dedication, uh, you know, come to fruition he, he he's went through a lot and he's overcoming things and now he's finding his passion he's in the gym he's doing it for his own personal health and whatnot to be competitive again again as well uh and he got second plate in his place in his first ever tournament uh it, it was awesome and i'll say too just to, to kind of elaborate on it more i had never personally even been to a, a jiu-jitsu tournament before and now i want to go every weekend uh it was very cool it, it was very cool getting to see, you know, cause we come from the MMA side of things where we get to watch all, all of the arts come together. So it was cool getting to see just jujitsu, uh, by itself and up close and personal. I mean, we were right next to the mats getting to watch, you know, six matches happen at one time, uh, no gi and gi. It was very awesome. Very, very cool concept. Very cool to see live. Um, and if he continues to compete, would love to go see him, uh, do it again. Uh, got to be with our friends. It felt good just being there as a support system. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic uh, event. It was awesome seeing it, and a huge major props to our boy Jake, a friend of the show, and more importantly, a friend of us. So it, it was awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm no big with the below average Joes, and we'll see you guys.